As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to this 2022 NFL offseason edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here with Randy Mueller, and typically we record this for Saturdays, but with Robert Mays occupied today, he has called upon us to fill in. We're happy to do it. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Mike. I, I, I would thought Robert would have had guys higher on the list yeah. than us, but yeah. you know, hey. I guess <laughs> duty calls. So I'm happy to do it. I, I'm good. Always good to be back in the saddle with you, and uh, hope everything's good in your world. Yeah, a lot of late round picks, you know, pay off. So hopefully we, <laughs> we do well. And for those that are that haven't listened to us, because we're in a little bit of a different slot here, I am Mike Sando, senior writer for the Athletic. Uh, been doing this a fair long time, 25 years covering the NFL. Randy Mueller, former NFL Exec of the Year, 35-year NFL evaluator, team builder, three-time GM, uh, spent a lot of years with Seattle, Exec of the Year with the Saints, general manager of the uh, Dolphins, and what, about a decade with the Chargers? So I probably left one or two out in there, but uh, shoot, you did a stint at ESPN as well, so you've been around a a little bit too. I know where a few of the bones are buried, that's for sure. (laughs) it's funny, um, you know, one of the things, we're going to talk about a number of things, even though it's the middle of the offseason and, and quote-unquote the, the quiet period. We did get a, a nice contract for Terry McLaurin with Washington. I think that leads to some analysis and discussion, lends itself to that. Uh, certainly it relates to DK Metcalf, who we want to talk about too, Seattle's young receiver who's in line for a deal, which I think is going to, I think the Seahawks are still an interesting topic overall. I think Randy still can't wrap his head around what they're doing at quarterback is kind of overall. <laughs> so we're going to talk about them. Um, shoot, something with Deshaun Watson could pop while we're talking, while we're recording. We may get into that. I think Washington certainly is an interesting team overall, not just for McLaurin where we're going to start, but they've had an eventful offseason with their owner, with their D coordinator, with their head coach, you, you name it. I think that's a team uh, too. But Randy, before we get into that, I got to say, I enjoyed our round of golf together, not just because I hit the ball better than I do 99 out of 100 times. I don't know what <laughs> happened. It had, that, that was certainly not representative. But um, what do you think of our first shot 
in, in our foursome. What would you think of that? Uh, were well, you we knew this with would the come up at I some assembled? point. Yeah. <laughs> were you, you uh, to, to just set this up, you know, uh, Randy and I both live in the Northwest and he's got a place over in uh, Idaho there. It's a not, not that far of a drive for me. And so we're going to play some golf. And I said, hey, I'll invite a couple of my old buddies I used to work with there and we'll have a great uh, group. So we get to the first tee and everyone's trying to make a good impression. <laughs> And uh, take it from there, Randy. What did you see? Well, I'm trying to erase it from my mind, to be honest with you. <laughs> These two buddies and Mike, I was looking forward to a great round of golf. I didn't know I was going to need psychological help and to be put on the couch for the next month and a half trying to get over what I saw on the first tee. But I'm afraid we'll offend somebody if we tell too many of the details. But the truth be known, the first swing of the day... Wasn't uh, resulted me, wasn't in Randy. the death of a, of a winged, you know, two-legged <laughs> bird that I've never seen in my life before. And it shook us up. We were still talking about it hours later. It was crazy. Un, uneventful. Heck, that was the whole day. Unbelievable. So we get to the first tee. There's history on this tee box, by the way. I used to play at this course, you know, when I lived over in that area. And so we've got some scars from this course. I mean, oh. I, one time years ago, I tee off and I pull pull my drive and it goes through this guy's bay window just shatters his window down there <laughs> up the left side of the fairway at the dog leg right so i re-tee and i push it out over the trap on the right so you know technically i didn't really have to go over where my ball went my playing partner at the time pulls his drive into this guy's yard and just gets an earful over there so uh we had that history i actually hit uh my playing partner's son in the leg with a shot out of the rough on that hole. So we've got a lot of, there's a lot of bones buried in this hole. The first hole, my buddy, Steve, we'll just leave him at Steve. <laughs> he tees off. He's a good golfer. He hits the screamer. It hits a freaking Robin in mm. the head by the lady's tee box. And I, I trust that this poor creature, this innocent creature died instantly but there was like this spastic reaction where it mm. cartwheeled off the course into the rough and then just lied there and we all look at each other like should we just quit should we just <laughs> not is this a bad omen is something we ended up having a great round but steve doesn't know this i actually signed him up for uh a membership in the audubon society <laughs> yeah, that's um, the least he can do come on least he can you do. Kidding we, me. Made a, we made a donation oh. to the audubon society in honor of this poor creature but um yeah and maybe that was the start uh, of the day that's the start of the day yeah yeah yeah. so we won't tell you what else happened on our our round of golf but it does lead into something that you have often said randy that this time of the calendar um which is supposed to be uh relaxing with uh golf where you don't kill any creatures um (laughs) is actually a little bit of a stressful time for the gm explain well, I think it's been documented that a lot of the things that happen now, it's, it's 90% bad, that's for sure. I mean, I remember being on a trip in Europe one time and getting a call when I was in Miami from one of our uh, security people reporting that a player had been arrested down on South Beach, you know, just oh, yeah. time time uh, on their hands. A lot of times these guys want to get away. I totally understand it. But a lot of bad things can happen between now and training camp. So I know that whether it was Nick Saban or Mike Holmgren or whoever the people that I've been around uh, uh, as coaches, they would always, you know, the last day of school, it was like guys scattering, right? And so oh, yeah. they always had to give the speech of, hey, this this has got to be uh, a little bit focused uh, this next month. We can't have this kind of stuff happen. We all want you to get away. But 
it just seems like it it's never ending and we'll probably hear about something in the oh, next yeah. week or so somewhere some team they're going to lose a player for some reason or another and it's usually off the field instances that that just oh, yeah. hey people kids wanting to be kids and I understand it but it's it's a hard time when you've spent the whole offseason building your team and you think you're all set and then stuff happens yeah. so yeah, it's, stuff it's a cautionary tale for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you get 90 people on a roster and um, shoot, there's a good chance that something unexpected is going to happen with one of them, especially when you have um, free time uh, in the schedule. And, yep. and uh, <laughs> I always laugh, you know, if I had had a lot of money when I was 22 years old and had it two months off, I mean, shoot, you know, lots of things could have happened. <laughs> yeah. It would have got us all, no doubt. Hey, I, I get it, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's a hard yeah. deal now. <laughs> yeah. Now, not a hard deal for the Washington commanders to re-sign Terry McLaurin, a, a very good uh, young receiver, 26 years old. He gets, we, we don't have the final details and we're not going to make the mistake of saying exactly what it was worth, but we think he gets about 23 million a year on a three-year extension that's tacked on to the 2022 season. Um, so now that's off the table. We're not going to have a, him missing training camp, um, those sorts of things. What do you think of him? What do you think of the deal? Um, anything notable here? Well, I think the most notable thing probably is from 30,000 feet in that it was a positive for a franchise that has been taken on water for what yeah. seems like years in negative sense, you know? So we all know what's happened with the owner. We know what's happened with the c congressional hearings and all this stuff. It just seems like it's a franchise that's somewhat cursed. So uh, I do think it's a positive move for them. I've always liked Terry McCall, and I think he's a really good player. I think he's a complete player. Um, I think he's – the only thing lacking are really, for me, in his world, are he's not really dynamic as a, as a speed receiver like a Tyreek Hill or – even like a, a AJ Brown or some of those guys, Stephon Diggs, he's he's probably got slotted salary wise below those guys, and I think that's probably fair. The other thing is, it's been hard for him is he's been productive in a world of revolving quarterbacks and offensive system that I'm not sold on. So I think for him to come out of this with a three-year extension in the low 20s is probably a good deal for everybody involved, to be honest with you. So I like the deal. I think it's good for the Washington side. I think it's good for Terry himself. Um, I do think it leads into some some of the some of the receivers and the money they got in this offseason, and that's a changing landscape. And, you know, you hate to say 23 million a year kind of comes back down to earth, but I can understand this one. Some I really don't understand. It's still a lot of money, but I think it's a good deal for everybody involved, really. And it kind of, like I said, fits yeah. from an ability standpoint and from a business standpoint in the right spot for, for all parties. It is amazing. I've, I'm now conditioned to, they had 23 million. I don't even blink. And that, used to, <laughs> yeah, that would have been a quarterback starting salary, you know, and, and, and it's, it's really amazing the, the growth of the league and what's going to come. It's going to only go up. Uh, but you're right to 23 million. If that's what it is, would put him, I think, uh, you know, maybe about seventh um, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll see what it actually comes in, but you'd have Tyreek Hill, Devonte Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Cooper cup, A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs uh, in that range. I got no problem with it. Really like him as a player. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to to re-sign your best players. I think it's great for your locker room, all of that stuff. And and uh, so a good deal there. Let's talk about the implications for it um, just more broadly uh, for the league because I think uh, D.K. Metcalf is an interesting one now. And he 
uh, has generally showed up for everything, but then didn't come to the to the latest camp uh, for the CX, which I don't think is a huge deal. But just a little baby just sending a signal that, hey, guys, uh, you know, that we need to get this done. I think it will get done uh, most likely um, in training camp. What do you think of, of him? Where would you slot him in? Would you want to bring him in below McLaurin, above? Well, and again, everybody's going to have their own opinion on this, but as an evaluator and as a guy that's looked at him closely on film, I would definitely say that the McCollin-Carn deal is the ceiling, and I think he probably should follow suit under this. I don't think he's as complete as the guys you mentioned, whether it's Diggs or A.J. Brown or Cooper Cup or even Devontae Adams and definitely Tyreek Hill. I don't think he's in that category. I think he's a little more flashy, so everybody has their opinion of this big play guy. And, and he scored a share of touchdowns. I understand that. But I don't think he's as complete a receiver. I don't think he's the route runner um, that, that we see some of these other guys are. So I think he's still a work in progress. It's going to be interesting. I'm sure he wants to, to get his money for a lot of reasons. But you mentioned their quarterback issues and the things that their offense has struggled with. I'm sure he wants to get paid before before the results of that come out on the field this year, because I think that could be a struggle for him to keep up numbers-wise. So um, it's definitely going to have a reflection. I've said all along that these deals that these receivers are getting are really a philosophical decision that front offices have to make, even more so than the individuals and what they're worth and how they are valued, I think. Because there's certain systems, there's certain offensive coaches, there's certain play callers that just aren't comfortable paying top dollar, and now top dollar is, you know, 23 million plus for a receiver, like you said, for a non-quarterback, for a guy that has to be, you know, schemed in. These these coaches that I'm referring to, the Andy Reeds, the the uh, the guy in Green Bay, the guys that got rid of these receivers, they're banking on their systems and their quarterbacks, and and that's how they're you know, that's how they've decided to spend their money. So I don't know that that's going to be running rampant throughout the league. All of a sudden, every receiver now is going to get the next $25 million deal, a year deal. I just don't see that as being the norm as much as the normal fan might, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it's just different by team, too. I mean, I, yeah. I think that Kansas City would have an easier time doing it if they weren't paying their quarterback so much or if they didn't feel like their coach and quarterback were so good that they can put someone else in there. I mean, look at Green Bay. Uh, shoot, Aaron Rodgers, with Aaron Rodgers there, they can make Jeff Janis look like a good player. You know, you know, look like have good numbers or they can have right. different receivers in there. We can debate whether they should have better guys. But uh, um, the quarterback component, what he's making is a huge part of it. I'm Seattle. Who else am I going to pay, right? I mean, it's not like they have a quarterback that they have to pay. Um, and when, when I, I'm, I am interested, though, in your – eval on the player because I think we, we've talked about this a lot in terms of what you like and you definitely like the more well-rounded guy we we joke that you uh you know you don't just like all the Ohio State guys wink wink because you drafted Ted Ginn and Joey mm -hmm. Galloway you had Chris Olave number one I think you had the other Ohio State receiver maybe number two in this draft um this year and of course McLaurin's a, an Ohio State guy but why do you like like for me instinctively um I would see a DK Metcalf and maybe I would be, I just look at those two guys and say, I want this guy. You know, I can remember watching Terrell Owens and warmups and you go, God, who's that guy? Mm -hmm. Can we have guys that look like that on our team? Mm -hmm. And when I look at the production of Metcalf, shoot, he's never missed a game, mm -hmm. uh, which McLaurin hasn't missed many either, but he's, he's got 
more more yards than McLaurin over the last three years, we can say it's the quarterback. He's caught a lot more touchdown passes, we can say it's the quarterback. Um, he seems to be a great competitor when we we've seen him not only just get upset at times, but chase down the guy in Arizona. I mean, I I just don't see what I, why. I think I would rather lean towards a Metcalf and bet on that physical uh, impressiveness and maybe being able to grow into that at age 24, two years younger than I would McLaurin. Why would you rather have McLaurin and what do you not see in Metcalf for his future? I think more than anything, the development of these guys, once they get in the league, will, you know, that that sticks with me. I think McLaurin has developed maybe more than Metcalf has. I think Metcalf has more upside without a doubt. And I understand these are varying opinions and I'm not saying, hey, I'm right. I'm just, for my money, and you you mentioned something earlier that just, you know, uh, that make me think about something. Who else are they going to pay? A a team would never think about that as being a reason to pay somebody just because who else are we going to pay? They're looking at it more in a detailed fashion. I would hope so. Um, and, and I don't know, I, I, don't, I guess I just don't see the details in Metcalf's game compared to a McLaurin. I think he's big, yes. He can run fast, yes. But I don't see the full route tree that a McLaurin has. Um, I don't think he could be used in the same way because of that. I just don't see the completeness. But I do see what you're saying. Big plays, you know, catches a lot of long balls, has a chance to score when he does catch it. Um, I just see the not quite the versatility that a McLaurin might have. So again, it comes down to everybody likes a different flavor of ice cream. And I, I like the more complete guys, the guy that we can do all kinds of stuff with, that our coaches can scheme in any way. I just think sometimes, um, and, and again, I'm not killing Metcalf. I understand he's a good player, but he's just not as versatile and not as complete for me as McLaurin. That's all. Who do you think a defensive coordinator would rather face? Is that going to is that going to change based on who the coordinator is, or do you think that uh, c- kind of to my point that uh, you know Metcalf could be the more imposing matchup? Is he a bigger game plan consideration or no? I think, think anytime speed, yeah, I think anytime speed's a factor that scares defenses. So if you're saying that Metcalf is faster and more big playability, that may scare him. Uh, more and they've got to be aware of where he's at. I always used to say, hey, when, when whether it was Ted Ginn or Joey Galloway or whoever we had as a fast guy, I said he he changes the way they defend us, even if we never throw him the ball, because they they're going to know that he can take the top off the defense. Now, if, if we're saying Metcalf can do some of that, and we've seen evidence of that, um, I think you're probably right, and I think it's a valid point that might put more fear into defenses. But I'm if I'm investing. For the future, it comes with, hey, would I rather invest in a flashy stock or would I rather in, invest yeah. in, you know, AT&T over the long haul? You uh, know, reliable something stock. like yeah. that. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And what's interesting, too, is so if we look at these two players, it's amazing. They've played, they've, they've both run 1,600 routes and change, okay? So they've mm-hmm. been targeted, one of them's been targeted 358 times, the other 357. So we have a real... There's right. a, they've played about the same. Here's what's interesting. So Metcalf has a lot more drops, 22 mm-hmm. to 12. Okay, so there's mm-hmm. a little bit of that consistency you're talking about. They both averaged exactly the same number of yards per route run. They have almost the exact same number of explosive receptions. How about this? Receptions mm-hmm. gaining more than 15 yards. Metcalf 69, McLaurin 68. That wouldn't be my perception. 
mm-hmm. because I would perceive the you know the, the upside or whatever we're talking about, and especially with Russell Wilson being a deep ball thrower, you mm-hmm. would say that. But shoot, here's McLaurin got the the same number of of big plays, a little bit of a higher uh, you know a little bit of a higher yards per catch for uh, Metcalf, but that could be. Uh, because some of those underneath and, sh- and shorter things that you want a receiver to do, he's not as good at. Now, I would say right. this. I don't think Russell Wilson throws the, a lot of those either. So I think they've been a, a more of a downfield offense. I don't think, when we're going to get into this with Seattle, that they necessarily have the quarterbacks to maximize any any receiver, whether it was McLaurin uh, or Metcalf. But I, I think at age 24, with the production that Metcalf's had, with – the fact that he stayed on the field and the fact that maybe he can grow into be more, that has a lot of appeal, appeal to me. And I wouldn't have a problem paying him even a little bit more um, than McLaurin got. If that's what it took. I do have in the back of my mind, Randy, you said you would never, you would never take into account who else do we have to pay. And I think that is a flippant way of, of, of putting it. I wouldn't say that, but I think it's easier to assimilate a contract uh, for somebody uh, like Metcalf when you don't have a bunch of other guys yet to pay. It's going to be a relatively young team. We're kind of going back in time for uh, for Seattle here. And if they are a million higher on Metcalf than they'd like to be, I don't think it really matters. Right. I, I would agree with that. I think for them, for 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 Seattle, Metcalf probably makes more sense. And, and they know what they have. A lot of times it's, it's in the eyes of the beholder, right? Ho- hopefully these teams value their own guys more than than making a change. So you might be willing to pay another million or two over the top just to keep your group intact. So I think there's value to be gained as well. I think in both these cases, and let's just assume Metcalf does get done, it'll be a fascinating follow for the next two or three years, whether the quarterback and the offense can 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 raise the production bar with either one of these and, and how it does change them going forward, if at all. Because I do think there is more in Metcalf's tank if they can somehow develop him uh, just to do a little more of the little detail things that McLaurin does. So different types, different styles. As you pointed out, maybe the numbers are more, you know, parallel than we think, but they go about it totally different. They do go about it differently. Now, um, I think for Metcalf, like what you said, he should get take a deal now and strike after three mm-hmm. really good years before a bad quarterback situation could. Yep, that's my could point. Could yeah. a bad year. And if I'm Seattle, I may be thinking that way too because mm-hmm. um, you may buy not only a, a good young player that you hope you can maximize once the quarterback situation is hopefully more solid, but you may have an easier time managing him this coming year and the frustrations, the ups and downs of the season if he's already been paid as opposed yeah. to he feels this whole thing slipping away now and he's gone three games without a t- you know five games without a touchdown and people are starting to talk about how his production's down and then he's worried about his long-term value. You may just buy a happier situation uh, by getting it done now. Um, and there's some to value to that, it. Mike. That's a valid yeah. point. I think teams realize... Each individual player they have are different personalities. They're different in dealing yep. with the business side. They they can handle some bad news with good news. And I'm not saying DK can't, but you're right in that I think a happier paid DK might give them a better chance to manage the situation going forward because I yeah. think I think there's some some rough waters ahead here at some point and you'd like to have at least uh, as many good pieces going forward tied down as you can so that they can't jump off the ship, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I, I do feel like the vitals on him are good. Like, he's going to work hard. I think he's a yeah, good he, teammate. He means well. I, I think yes. he means well all of that. It's yeah. just 
that overall frustration that you're going to, you, you could sense that he could have if, yep. you know. Well, he's shown it in the past. Down. And he's shown yeah. it in the past. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yet I think, yeah, so you could manage that. I'm not worried about the underlying stuff. You know, I don't think it's a big problem of a reason why I wouldn't like him or anything. It just could make the situation a little bit tougher. Let's talk about that situation, Randy, because I think you still can't believe that it's Drew Locke and Geno Smith. <laughs> Uh, for the CX, and a lot of people can't. I mean, that's. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of this Baker Mayfield stuff's coming up. I don't think it's because Seattle's interested, and I really actually <laughs> don't think they are that interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from the outside, Seattle's been a hard team to read because uh, the way because let's face it, people on the outside can't believe that they'll do some of the things that they'll do that they're really thinking that way. Um, I think they are going into the season with these two guys. What do you think of it? What do you think of? where they're at and and just can you believe it well there's a couple things one thing is that i keep reading and hearing and i don't know if this is true i have not talked to the people on the inside i'm sure you're better connected there than i am but i i've read the narrative that john schneider had liked drew lock coming out of missouri well here's the deal there's three more years of film but since then that would have a lot to do with my perspective on if i like the player that coming out of college or not. So there is some more information. So the fact that I like somebody coming out of college um, and I'm anchored on that position would scare me a little bit. The other thing is, it's not like Seattle has been great picking quarterbacks. And let's just face it, they got Russell Wilson. I get it. They had him for a decade and even longer. But before that, they were paying the Matt Flynn's of the world and Charlie Whitehurst's of the world. Yeah. And, and they were swinging and missing on quarterbacks. So it's not like they're the quarterback factory, right? So I that I just have that doubt in the back of my mind that, gosh, are they going to get this right? Obviously, Vegas doesn't see it that way. They, yeah. The over and under is 5.5. So yep. there's questions there. Not that Vegas knows everything, but Vegas knows some things. They always do. That's why they are glitter and, and, and everything yeah. else in that town. So I think there is some doubt, and there is for me going forward. I have tried to warm up to Drew, Block. I, Drew Locke. I've tried to understand their thinking. Um, I've tried to drink the Kool-Aid because, as you said, we live in the Northwest. So I just, I don't see it. I'm not seeing it. I saw some fatal flaws. I saw it cost the staff in Denver their jobs. Um, They signed uh, Teddy Bridgewater to replace him. And Teddy Bridgewater is just a guy, you know, in the NFL right now. So I don't don't know where they're going to get it. I don't think Geno Smith is the answer. Um, But I've also heard the narrative, and and, and I can't... remember who exactly said they're going to be okay if they win six or seven games because next year's quarterback crop is better. Well, that's a whole nother podcast if we're going to get into next year's quarterback uh, group, because as you know, this time last year, we're talking about the Spencer Rattlers and Sam Howells and all those guys that everybody, all the experts had locked into being top 10 franchise quarterbacks. And none of those guys got picked in the top five rounds, much less anything else. So that's, a, that's not a given that next year's quarterback crew is going to be great and that we should wait to fill our need yep. a year from now. Your points about Russell Wilson being the one they hit on compared to the five or six or however many others that they totally missed on is a great point. And it's a little bit how it is at quarterback, right? I mean, you try and you try and you try. Uh, but there are situ- uh, there have been other situations over time. Shoot, uh, the, their coach before Pete Carroll was Mike Holmgren. And Shoot, they drafted guys all the time in Green Bay, and they ended up being good players. They had a track record of drafting and developing yeah. quarterbacks that you could hang your you could hang your hat on and say, you know what, 
right. uh, shoot, he could bring in a Matt Hasselbeck and he'll go to three Pro Bowls, right? Uh, they can yep. draft a Ty Detmer or a Mark Brunel, or they can have a Kurt Warner in camp because they know yeah. exactly what they're looking at. And cut him and be okay at. with it, yeah. Yeah, they know what they're looking at at that position, and they have a, an amazing track record. I do agree with the risk that you have, and I think that this is a unprecedented situation. I just can't think of another time that you have a quarterback who's perceived to be at least a top 10 quarterback um, who's under contract, who is not especially old, is not especially broken down, and you trade him away without having something that looks better or a viable alternative. Uh, I mean, I think when the Colts got rid of Peyton Manning, they had Andrew Luck. You could understand why they were doing it. This is a situation right. that I really can't find a precedent for. Um, and I, to, to me, the variables that I look at that are key are is Wilson in a decline and are they selling high? I think he could be. I think we may have seen well, the best of him actually. Yeah, That's I don't disagree one. with that. I think it's an indicator of how sour that relationship was yeah. and yeah. how the shelf life had expired without a doubt. And we see that every day. And I've said from the first minute this happened, there's got to be something else coming. There's got to be a, something else coming. And, and, and there hasn't been. So that's where my skepticism comes from. I just, yeah. I, I had already made up my mind in everything that I saw uh, in two or three years of Drew Locke in Denver. And, and I thought Gino is Gino, you know, so I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to follow. And, and as you mentioned, the Baker deal isn't settled yet. That's a whole nother topic yeah. of, you know, we, we heard leaked out information over the last couple of weeks that Carolina was close to making a deal. Then a week later, we heard Seattle's close to making a deal. Well, guess what? That's all coming from Cleveland, right? They're trying to stir up interest so that they can scare somebody into making a deal, and it hasn't happened yet. So He doesn't fit in Seattle, though, does he, Randy? I mean, everyone Who? I know that even likes Baker Mayfield is like, this guy needs to be in a shotgun, up-tempo offense, and move fast. That's not what Seattle wants to do. Do you think it's a, it would be a good fit or just a marginal upgrade over Drew Locke, uh, and then you're looking for a guy in a year anyway? I don't really know what Seattle's offense is. I'll be honest with you. I don't see it enough. I thought it struggled last year. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something to, to really say this is our identity. This is what we do. I happen to be one of the few that think Baker on a one-year deal makes a lot of sense in Seattle. But obviously, I'm the only one that thinks that. Um, no, a lot of people think that. A lot of people. I think that's what the public perception is. Hey, just get Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and I don't um, think he's the answer, but I think he's he's on a one-year deal. He has to play well. I think he could um, execute what they did last year as good, if not better, than the people who were doing it last year. I think he's an upgrade as a passer and a decision-maker over Drew Locke or Geno. So I, I do think that. he's a better option for me. Obviously, they don't think that. Now, the other side is, are they just waiting it out to where Cleveland has to cut him? That's a yeah. whole other topic of, of how the exit path either has hurdles or, or get the hurdles get pushed down and he becomes free. I don't know. But it's still Seattle. It's still Carolina. We're four months removed from the first time we heard these guys in this conversation. I'm the one, I happen to think that Carolina is not a good fit for him. I don't, and I know Baker's agents well, and they're very competent people. They're good people. They understand it too. But I think Carolina is a hornet's nest because I think the coach oh, is under the gun. I think everybody there is under the gun. They've got an owner that, you know, is is ready to press the button any day now on a reset, I think. And if I'm Baker, that could be messy and ugly in the oh, same. I agree. Know, I don't I'd think that makes any off. sense to me. I'd rather have a year 
as a backup somewhere or a year off than go to Carolina. I think it's a terrible place. Uh, to well, go. and maybe that's why I keep coming back to Seattle as being the yeah. one spot for him. You know. Yeah, and I think if the terms were right on it, it makes sense. I think What's the terms? Is, what, a, what are the terms? A one He's going to get his nineteen million. Yeah, I know exactly, but but Seattle needs him humbled in that role, not in, empowered in that role. Do you agree? I agree with that, but I think they would get a humbled Baker. I, I just think it's a matter of, I guess, when you say terms, who pays what portion of the nineteen million? Oh, Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just saying no. I, I to me, if I'm Seattle, I'm not, I don't want to pay any of it. I just sign him for a few million bucks. That's fine. We, then you got to wait it out, and and you that may out. happen. That may happen. I I, agree I would with do that. that before I'd trade for him. I think the the narrative of Baker. Why doesn't he? Why don't the Browns just welcome him back now? Because Watson's going to be. Oh. you know. I mean, that to me is ridiculous. It's crazy. There's no way. Yeah. I think yeah. again. I don't know if we want to get into this now, but the Browns have kind of overplayed their hand in my mind anyway. So we'll see what happens. But I know this for sure. Baker's getting his 19 million. It's just yeah. a matter of who writes the check. That's all. So. I I know this, having negotiated hundreds of deals, I would rather negotiate from zero up than 19 million down. And that may be part of the parameters and the issues here. I think at some point, Cleveland has to pull the trigger on moving on. And and I think from a team building standpoint, from a locker room standpoint, standpoint, from a continuity standpoint, that's coming pretty soon. At some point, the distraction is going to be real whether it's with the Watson fallout or moving on from Baker. And I know I would want, as as the GM, as Andrew Barry, I would want that distraction to be over and have some time passed so that we can come to training camp with a clear mind and clear direction as to what we're going to do. I don't want all this doubt and rumors swirling and all that. So that's fast approaching, in my opinion. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. So Randy, with this whole, we're talking about Cleveland, we're talking about Seattle, and I think in a normal off season, 
the situation in Seattle would be a once in a 10 year. It would be the most spectacular thing we've seen happen at the quarterback position, like I was talking about, where you have a franchise icon who who uh, is just traded and you don't have a you don't even have a, vi- a viable quarterback. You don't have a backup plan. That is unprecedented enough, but maybe five times more unprecedented than that, like unprecedented in the history of the league, is this the Sean Watson situation yeah. uh, where the, the team went all in for him, paid him. He's got all these lawsuits against him, and we don't know what the heck's going to happen. And <laughs> beyond that, normally we have a – at least you know, okay, Roger Goodell's in charge of discipline. Here's what the commissioner's done in the past. Here's what I think he'll do and why. We don't even know that. We have an arbitrator in Susan Robinson who no one knows anything about. Um, so when we say we can't believe what Seattle's doing at quarterback, um, really you can't believe times five what Cleveland's doing and where it might even go. You're exactly right. I think it's more than the story of the year. I think you're on it. It's the story of the last five or six years. I think the enormity of it, the decisions that have been made um, up to this point are borderline reckless. Um, (laughs) It's only worse. It only gets worse because we still don't know months after the fact. I think it's, I mean, I don't know. I'd like to say it's a foregone conclusion that, that Deshaun Watson isn't playing football this year. But we don't know that. We don't know Susan Robinson. She's never been in a role like this. Do you think the league or or Roger Goodell is regretful of giving up the gavel when it comes to discipline this at this point for this one case because it has such an enormous effect on the league? I think yes. that they'd have to, right? <laughs> yeah, they would have to unless they know that they're going to get what they want anyway. I don't know. If but how they do they know that? that? We've never been down this road. Isn't the point of Susan Robinson being involved? She's supposed to be an independent arbitrator of, of well, all things personal conduct? I think it does take Goodell off the hook a little bit personally, though, because he can. they can say that they've pushed for doing what's right, okay? Which... I think the public perceives as Deshaun Watson not playing this year, maybe even not playing some of next season. Yeah, and, and that was leaked out for a reason. I agree. Absolutely. So the league, I think the league sort of politically here needs to appear to to really want to come down hard on Deshaun Watson. Can the league have it both ways in this thing? The league, oh, we want to do what's right. We want this guy out. And then he's playing for Cleveland Browns sooner than – they want, and it's not the, their fault. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a kind of a cynical way of looking at it. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but Goodell can't really be held responsible now, right, for whatever it is. Um, not directly, but I do know this that makes it even more, puts even more at stake, is there are 31 owners and 31 front offices with their eyes directly beaming on this to find out what's going on. All and they these want owners Watson punished, right? They yes, want they punished. they want their pound of flesh extracted. There's no doubt about it. This is this has been a deal changer for them in every way. On every street corner, they've heard about it. Um, they all think that the Browns pulled wool over their eyes in this case, and they're all having to pay yep. the price. So I do think that is 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 part of it. Whether it it's part of Susan Robinson's you know uh, decree, I doubt. But that's why that's so fascinating because there is so much at stake with regard to this. And I think you're right. The the league leaked out this information so that everybody knew that they clearly wanted a and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when when we were playing golf that day, in that I thought there would be a year suspension or a year come back after a year and then we'll talk about it. Because I think 
there's even more at stake than this season. I think there's some of 2023 oh, yeah. where financially they can get into everybody's pocket even more. We all know that the, the his base salary for this year is $1 million and it goes up extremely higher in 23. So they're, they're good. They want some of that money as well. So the yeah. league has made their case publicly now. And, and I think you're right to take the pressure off Goodell, to take the pressure off, you know, and, and put it squarely on the arbitrator's, you know, plate per se. Absolutely. The best thing for the league would be to just exempt list them this year and then yes. start the suspension after that. Sort of, yes. And you could do it under the guise, not just the guise, but the real reality of these things aren't settled. And They're and not settled it, and they, who knows what's coming. Who knows what's coming. And, and you have to give that, you can't wait forever for what else might be coming, but I think you could certainly wait um, you know, wait this season and then, you know, do that. And, and we'll see how that goes with, uh, with, with the arbitrator. Do you, we've also seen out there this idea that, Hey, the league didn't come down hard on Robert Kraft and Daniel Snyder, um, for what they did. So look, personal conduct policy, Randy applies to everybody. Does that, do you think that is a decent basis of an argument sort of put you in the in Susan Robinson's shoes for maybe not coming down as hard on Deshaun Watson? Or is that fantasy land thinking by people who are just grasping for anything uh, uh, as Deshaun Watson, you know, basically is going to take his punishment? Yeah, I think that's probably fodder for the Watson camp and for what they would like to introduce as part of the reason for a lesser sentencing per se. I also think that they'll use the inconsistencies in the past of the personal conduct, uh, you know, uh, court of law, uh, if that we can even use that as because we know it's not a court yeah. of law, it's it's all done internally. But they're going to use the inconsistencies in the past, whether Roger used them or any of his lieutenants used them in deciding cases. There's just nothing been to this level and been this convoluted, in my opinion. So I don't think any of that will matter. I'm not buying part of that as part of this case. I also think that Susan Robinson has to put her stamp on something. And I just, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know her. So what we've seen in the past, I think, is people that are on the inside of the league sometimes don't realize how big these things are on the outside, right? And we've mm -hmm. seen uh, shoot Goodell with the Ray Rice situation or, or yep. whatever, right? I mean, yep. the way no that things have been looked at from inside the league haven't always... Uh, haven't always been a, in the appropriate proportion, right? To what, mm -hmm. uh, because I think inside the league, everything's focused on how well somebody plays and next week's game and all of that. This obviously touches on much bigger societal issues. So my hope would be that somebody who's not, doesn't come from inside the league, uh, isn't sort of uh, hardened by that inside the league thinking, uh, might look at this from the outside and say, wow. Yeah. You know, see it for what it is. See right. it for what it is. I'm not saying that I hope that she comes down overly hard because I don't think oh. that would be right either. But I yeah. hope that an outside perspective is actually pro appropriate here for what's going on because this is unprecedented. Maybe they'll benefit from having someone look looking at this from a different angle. Yeah. Um, what you said though is interesting. Like she has to put her stamp on this thing too because this is going to define her. Whatever no she does here defines her in this role. Mm -hmm. That could be good because maybe then she feels like I need to do what's appropriate here, whatever that is, and, and come out with something that's fair. Well, it's hard to find cases to compare it to or history. But if you go back just to the Ben Roethlisberger deal, and that was, what, eight or 10 years ago when that happened, 
he was suspended six games for one violation of of the tw- equal to the yeah. 24 that that Deshaun Watson has and he was suspended i believe six games and it got reduced to four was that right yeah it was it was it was something like that hold yeah, on yeah six that went to four for one so if you use that and extrapolate that out to where there's 24 of these cases, it's easy to, to justify, hey, this should be a year, year and a half, to be honest with you. So finding the, everybody's going to cherry pick history to help their cause. That's the world, right? That's the way the world operates now. So I'm just going to be fascinated by where she comes down on this with all the different points of view and angles and agendas at stake. Frankly, I'm happy there's an independent person doing it and, and maybe yeah. she will be less agenda affected. You know, absolutely. I, and it was four games that, that Roethlisberger ended up being suspended back then. Yeah. So it seems like it has to be way more than that. Just the gravity of this whole thing yeah. um, feels so different. And um, I think no one's going to be satisfied other than Watson's camp if it's not if he if he plays this year. Even I think it's got to be longer than that. So it'll be interesting um, to see what the Cleveland Browns come out. You know, at the end of all this. Uh, with egg on their face or not just saying they had to know some of this stuff was coming yeah. they had to these guys are smart people um they, they had so, to know a little bit about what they were going to face don't just ride the index seek to outperform it with fidelity active etfs learn more at fidelity.com active etfs before investing in any exchange traded fund you should consider its investment objectives risks charges and expenses contact fidelity for a prospectus and offering circular or if available a summary prospectus containing this information read it carefully while active etfs offer the potential to outperform an index these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive etfs fidelity brokerage services llc member nyse sipc when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So here's a parallel that segues into, I think, how we want to wrap this up, which is circling back to the Washington Commanders. I think these are two franchises, okay, that have bad owners. We'd say <laughs> Cleveland and Washington have terrible owners. But mm-hmm. in both cases, they've tried to hire good people who have good reputations in the league to kind of right the ship. The owners themselves haven't changed, but certainly in the case of Cleveland, um, you know, they initially brought in John Dorsey, uh, you know, and, and he upgraded some of the talent of the team. And then they brought in, you know, they have they have Andrew Barry and they have uh, Kevin Stefanski, who I think are well-regarded people in the league. And they're kind of seen as sort of smart, stable people, right? They're, they're sort of seen as the opposite of that owner uh, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of temperament and just terms of uh, the way they go about things. And then, then the same thing here in Washington, where you have Dan Snyder, who 
you know, no, has a terrible reputation uh, that's only gotten worse. But you've brought in Ron Rivera, right? Somebody who I think is well regarded around the league, and and he's going to try to, uh, you know, make this situation uh, better. Or they've tried to change the culture of the team, right? They brought in Jason Wright also as a team president, and that's been the messaging: is that hey, uh, you know, we've we, we've made these changes. Can you really? I guess my question here, maybe maybe we have our answer. Can you really do that and succeed, or does the owner, does a, does a bad owner always sort of win in the wrong ways and drag you down? Well, that's a good point. It's really a great question. I think dysfunction always starts at the top. I think you can bring people in, um, but what's happened, I think, in especially in the Washington case, um, and, and you know, I've worked with Ron Rivera. I knew know him well. The further he gets away from coaching the team, the more that team is going to struggle. And I feel like once he got yeah. there, they've given him all these hats, or he's wanted he all these hats. GM one of the two. for a year, yeah. you know, all that. He's everything. He's still running that, yeah. that part of it. So I know the Jason Wright hire was a good hire. I know he's a sharp guy and, and should be able to help. But I just see Ron with his hat changing every day and getting further and further away from the team. He's got friends and family that work under him now. And that theory always for yeah. me doesn't work, you know? So there's some things there that I still can have concern. I understand the culture is better. I know Ron's a good person, um, but they haven't shown it on the field. Let's face it. And now they have more distractions above him than maybe ever before with all the stuff the commanders, you know, are trying to put to bed from years past. So, it's just a cesspool of swirls around and around. And we've saw the Jimmy Haslam stuff in Cleveland. You mentioned the the long litany of, of GMs, and you've left out a couple in that group too. Sashi so they've Brown tried, in there. Yeah, yeah other guys. Uh, I think, uh, you know, all these people are good people, but they've all had to jump outside of their own lanes. And that's really when you get in trouble, when you get outside your own lane. I think uh, team building is hard. Team building is a really hard task. Some people are better at it than others. Um, but it definitely helps when you have an owner at the top that gets it. And I, I'm not sure in this case, uh, we do, yeah. you know, so I, I don't know. I, I wish I had better, a better crystal ball for these franchises, but they've been the same for years now. So I don't know. Yeah. And I, I do, I just, that's what I felt like with the Deshaun Watson thing happening when that happened sort of out of left field and they were involved, obviously, uh, the owner has to not only sign off on it, but it just felt like. It felt like an owner grabbing control of the wheel, you know, yeah. um, when the car was sort of back on the road and it was yeah. between well, the lines. And then all of a sudden, the that felt like, and I'm not saying, I'm not excusing the football people there because maybe they really wanted to get to Sean Watson too. But I think a better ownership would have resulted in handling that situation better, maybe not even going after him, certainly not giving him that kind of contract once you were in. And I just, I think we're seeing it here with Washington too, that um, if you don't have that ownership at the top being solid, um, especially if it's really dysfunctional, I don't know that you can bring in enough good people underneath that and, and be able to steer it. And your point about Ron Rivera, maybe, you know, having to do too many things besides coach the team is a great one. I, I just look at what they've had to deal with this off season. Besides the Daniel Slander thing, you got Jack Del Rio, you know, uh, being a political commentator. And then he, how about this? Their head coach and their D coordinator, Jack Del Rio, have both been fined a hundred grand this off season. 
Yeah. I mean, what's up with that? Rivera I thought it was, was interesting. It, remember, it initially came out that Ron Rivera was finding Del Rio 100 grand. Then they kind of reworded that to the club is finding him 100 grand. Then Ron Rivera gets fired 100 grand for violations of OTAs and too much physical contact. So wait a second. It's like, <laughs> it's crazy. You're right. I've never heard and, of such a yeah, thing. Yeah. Maybe if Rivera could have fined Jack Del Rio, he could have used that 100 grand himself to pay the league. <laughs> yeah, to right? pay I his mean, own uh, fine. Hey, yeah. thanks, Jack. But at some but point, those are, yeah. yeah. At some point, hopefully you don't have those things going on. And oh, by the way, Washington has now uh, brought in Carson Wentz at quarterback. You yeah. talk about stability. I mean, where, another circus. Yeah, another circus because he <laughs> he can't handle it. Uh, and you know, he may be an upgrade. He may play well, but he certainly. If you were to talk about leadership, you Ron Rivera is going to have to help him lead the team too. Yeah, because he's not a natural leader and doesn't really have a great self awareness and know how to do it. So well, and um, and that's a team that has a record of swinging and missing at quarterbacks, I think, for the last several years. So they've kind of, in my opinion, misevaluated their quarterback position now for two or three years. So time will tell. Yeah. Yeah. The other two, the other franchise you can throw in there really sometimes is Miami. And that starts with the with the ownership yeah. too because of the chaos they've had. Did You can go back to, why, why do things keep coming up at Miami about Tom Brady and their, their pursuit of Watson last year when they didn't pursue him? Then the coach uh, leaving under all this- Suing them. Yeah. yeah all this. I mean, same thing. Stuff keeps happening there. And, and maybe Mr. Ross is the greatest guy in the world and maybe it's the people under him, but I know it's not the football people there because I know those guys and, and they're not off the hook trying to do all these other things. So there's a distraction sometime that is created at the top that nobody in the building can do anything about it. So I guess I would say this. Uh, if you have the great quarterback and a good coach, I think that overcomes anything. And so, um, like, like, let's just look at Tom Brady going to Tampa. That's another team that hasn't had great ownership, right? You would say Tampa's ownership uh, it's better than those other ownerships. But, yeah. but we wouldn't have been holding that up as, as an example of great ownership. Yeah. And then you, uh, but you bring in Brady and you have Bruce Arians and now, um, you know, Todd Bowles. I think you could, that overcomes, right? You can overcome uh, it, no doubt. Yep. That, that overcomes. But maybe if you, it, maybe if you have bad ownership, getting a good coach or just some stability in the front office um, isn't going to be enough by itself. It depends. I'll tell you, you've seen some cases. Of, for example, look at New Orleans, what they've done. And, and I don't think Tom Benson was ever regarded as the greatest owner ever, but he he was always had a reputation of being a little tight and, and a little bit of a yeah. questionable decision maker. But guess what? You got Drew Brees, you got um, Sean Payton, and you win a Super Bowl. So it can be overcome. Yep. But I don't know that at some point, I think we all have to figure out what we are and what we're good at, whether it's the owner, whether it's the coach, whether it's the GM. And and once we find the lane that we're comfortable and good in, we ought to just stay there. And hopefully the owner understands that as well, what they are good at. Bill Polian used to say this for years, and I used to laugh every time he'd say it. He said, owner's own, coach's coach, GM's GM. He said, those are the best organizations. Players play. He said, it's when the lines get blurred, that's when you have a problem, when everybody wants to get in everybody else's business. So it's, yep, it's probably some merit to that. It's absolutely fascinating and how, how all these teams come together or not and, and what's going to happen. So I think we've we've used our time here, Randy. Hopefully we've used it wisely and people have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, everybody here, you can find Randy Mueller on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. 
You can also go to MuellerFootball.com. Lots of good stuff on there. Um, I'm Mike Sando. You can find me at Sando NFL, also on The Athletic. Thanks for coming along. And Randy, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good, Mike. This was The Athletic Football Show.